Well, thank you to the band uh, for leading us so well, uh, and for all of you guys who read for us. That was really helpful. Thank you. At this point in our service, uh, we're going to think just for a few minutes about that last reading we heard a moment ago in Matthew 2. And as we look at it, I want you to remember two headings, inside out and outside in. Because as we work our way through this story, we're going to look at how each of the different characters respond to Jesus. The people on the inside are the chief priests and teachers of the law and King Herod, but they end up missing out. The people on the outside are the magi, but by the end of the story, they find themselves on the inside. Okay, so we're going to start with Inside Out. Maybe you've seen the film Inside Out. Inside Out is the film I immediately think of when I hear this story. Uh, That's probably because I have a one-year-old and I watch a lot of Disney+. Plus. Um, But anyway, in Inside Out, we watch as five characters who represent five different emotions, use various buttons and levers to control a girl called Riley's mind and how she responds to what she sees and hears in her life. And one of these emotions reminds me of the first insiders we're going to look at, the chief priests and teachers of the law. They were the top Bible scholars of their day. They were the religious leaders in Jerusalem. They were on the inside because they knew the Bible and all the Jewish laws inside out. And in the story uh, we just heard, when Herod called them together and he asked them where this promised king, this Messiah was meant to be born, the emotion that takes over their controls is disgust. Now, and inside out, disgust is about more than just bad smells and stuff that's generally minging, okay? Her main job is to keep Riley away from things that she doesn't approve of, things that don't interest her or impress her. And quite often when disgust is on the controls, Riley is saying, I don't care, or she's turning the nose up. And that's exactly how the chief priests and the teachers of the law react. They don't care. They turn the nose up. They just say to Herod, this is what is written, the Messiah is supposed to be born a few miles to the south in Bethlehem. These guys know God's promises. They know God had promised a Messiah, a king who would come to save his people from their sins and set up God's everlasting kingdom. They should be waiting for this king. We would expect them to run immediately to Bethlehem to check out if there was even the slightest hint this king had been born. But they don't. They don't care. They're totally indifferent. They're quite happy keeping this king at a distance. And why? Well, they say in their hearts, we're doing all right in our own things. They thought that keeping all the laws and the customs and being a good person was all they needed to do to be right with God. But they've missed the whole point. They haven't realized that they were supposed to be waiting for the only person who could ever keep all the laws. And like we heard in our first reading tonight, they were supposed to be waiting for the Messiah King to come and save them from their sins. But when he comes, they don't recognize him. They don't respond to God's King in the right way. And so the guys who should be right at the front of the line to get into God's kingdom, they miss out. Now, King Herod is the other insider in this story, 
and we can see a different emotion taking over his controls. Herod was the reigning king of the Jews. He was the king of the insiders. He wasn't of Jewish descent, but he was a practicing Jew. And in fact, during his reign, he completely rebuilt the Jewish temple. So he would have been familiar with these promises as well. He would have known that the Jews were waiting for a coming king who would deliver them. But when the Magi come asking Herod, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? The very notion that this king had arrived causes anger to start pressing buttons and pulling levers in Herod's mind. And inside out, anger is straight over, ready to blow things up if anything threatens Riley getting her way or doing what she wants to do. And Herod is exactly the same. He's angry because he feels threatened. He's thinking, there's only room for one king, and it's not going to be him. If anyone is going to be in charge, it's going to be me. Now, that's not immediately obvious from uh, the story we've just heard in Matthew 2. In the story, Herod says he wants to go and worship this newborn king. But that was all a facade, wasn't it? The real reason why Herod was trying to find out so many details about Jesus throughout this story was that he wanted to kill Jesus. And if we look closely, right at the end of the story, we're given a big clue that Herod had sinister intentions. Because when the Magi get to Jesus, they're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. And if you know what comes next in the story, you'll know why they were warned not to go back. It's not long before Herod gives the order to murder all the baby boys under two in Jerusalem. And Joseph and Mary, they have to flee to Egypt to keep Jesus safe. Herod is another insider who fails to respond to God's king in the right way. He's so worried about preserving his own kingdom that he misses out on the arrival of God's kingdom. But thankfully, these insiders aren't the only characters in this story. The great irony is that while these insiders are missing out, God is bringing people on the outside in. And that's the second heading we're going to look at, outside in. The outsiders in this passage are the Magi. Now, we would probably more commonly refer to the Magi as the wise men. In your primary school nativity, they're often the three guys with crowns, or often they get given the fancier tea towels for their heads, not just the plain ones that the shepherds get. Um, and actually, one of those wise men is usually the smartest child in the class. Uh, they have to be able to say frankincense and not Frankenstein like all the other kids do. Um, but maybe you haven't give, given the Magi much thought. Who are these guys that come looking for Jesus? Well, the Magi are so on the outside that we actually don't know much about them. We don't know exactly where they've come from. We're just told they've come from the east. That tells us they're from outside of Israel. They're outside of God's people. They've no reason to know any of God's promises. They've no reason to be expecting this king or God's kingdom to come. We also don't know exactly what a magi was. Although they probably weren't kings, our best guess is that they were scholars who specialized in astrology and dreams, which is not exactly a career that gets a good rep in the Bible. We also don't know exactly how many of them came. We're just told they brought three gifts. The only question we might be able to answer is why. Why have these guys who aren't supposed to be here shown up at the birth of Jesus? Well, 
We know from verse 2 in the passage we heard that these guys have some information. They come asking, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Somehow they've heard that an important king, a king who would have a massive impact on the world, was to be born in Israel. And they've heard that the sign that this king had arrived would be a star that would rise up in the sky. And the best explanation for that is that these astrologers have got their hands in some of the Jewish scriptures. They've read a prophecy from the book of Numbers that says, a star will arise out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. These magi have read an invite that was addressed to someone else. They've read the directions and they've crashed Jesus' birthday party. Although fair play, they didn't arrive empty-handed, did they? They come bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And in those days, those were pretty bougie gifts, okay? They cost a lot of money. And these magi, they saw the evidence. They heard God's words. They saw this star they had never seen before rise up in the sky. And at great personal cost, they make the long journey to follow it all the way to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem. They investigated God's evidence and they found God's king. And when they find him, the emotion controlling them is joy. In fact, the text says they're overjoyed and they, they make the right response to Jesus, don't they? They bow down and worship him as their king. The outsiders don't miss out on God's kingdom. Now, perhaps as you hear this story, you're wondering why this king was so important. What made these magi want to come all this way to worship Jesus? Well, to understand that, we need to rewind a bit from the Christmas story. In fact, we need to go right back to the start of the Bible. The Bible tells us that God created the world, that he made human beings as the pinnacle of creation, and from the start, things were good. The first human beings knew God and had a good relationship with him. But then things went wrong. The first human beings rebelled against God. They believed a lie that they could be equal with him and they disobeyed him. And as a result, their friendship with God was over. And ever since, human beings have been born not knowing God. Each and every one of us is born in rebellion against him. We've all done a Herod. We've all rejected God as our king. Instead, we've loved ourselves. We do what is right in our own eyes because in our hearts we say, if anyone is going to be king, it's going to be me. And the Bible's word for that rebellion is sin. And it tells us that the consequence of sin is death. It tells us if, that, if we die without being reconciled back to God, it means we're going to be without him forever. And that's bad news. Because the Bible says that God is light and love. That he has life in himself. That he is the giver of life. And so to die without having a right relationship with God means an eternity of darkness with no love, with no joy, with no peace. And it means we don't get to live forever in his glorious kingdom. But that doesn't have to be the end of the story. The reason why we celebrate the birth of King Jesus at Christmas time is because Jesus came to bring a solution to our problem. Jesus came down as a baby, but this baby would grow up and carry out a rescue mission to bring human beings back 
into a relationship with God again. And we get a glimpse of how Jesus is going to do that right here in this story. This is not the first time, or this is not the last time, sorry, that Jesus is offered myrrh. Myrrh is a natural painkiller, and the next time Jesus is offered it is just before he's crucified on a cross. Jesus was the only human being who ever lived the way we were supposed to. He lived a perfect life. He had a perfect relationship with God. And on the cross, he gave that perfect life up for us. He was the only one who didn't deserve to die, but he willingly died as a substitute, taking the punishment that we deserve and offering his perfect life to us so that in the eyes of God, we could be forgiven for rebelling against him. And even more than that, Jesus rose again from the dead. He conquered death so that those who believe in him will also be raised from the dead and live forever in his everlasting kingdom. That's why Jesus deserves to be worshipped as our king. That's what Christmas is really all about. And just as I close tonight, I want you to ask yourself, which character in this story do you relate to the most? Maybe if you're honest, you're most like the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Maybe you've grown up in church or you've heard Christmas talks before at carol services. You've heard it all before and you're just not interested or moved by it. And when you hear about Jesus, you think, I'm a good person. I'm doing just fine on my own, thanks. And so your response to King Jesus is just to keep him at a distance. Or maybe deep down you know that the person you're most like in this story is Herod. The real reason that you don't want anything to do with Jesus is that you want to be the king over your own life. You don't want anyone telling you what to do. And your response to Jesus is to feel like your own little kingdom is threatened. If that sounds like you, or you know that you haven't accepted Jesus as your king, I need to tell you that King Jesus is coming again to judge the world. And on that day, those who haven't responded rightly to Jesus will find themselves outside of God's kingdom. And the Bible clearly warns us that that's a terrible fate. The response Jesus deserves is that we receive him as our king and we worship him. And what this story wonderfully illustrates is that the arrival of King Jesus is good news for the whole world. Jesus was born in Israel, but he offers salvation to everyone. He wants outsiders to come to him. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how much of an outsider you feel in church. Doesn't matter how long you've rejected Jesus as your king. Jesus invites you to trust in his sacrificial death on the cross and ask him to forgive you for rebelling against him. And that royal invitation is open to anyone. All those who accept it will receive eternal life and a place in his kingdom. If you're not ready to do that just yet, why don't you investigate the evidence for yourself, just like the Magi did? Why not investigate what God has to say to you in the Bible? We'd love to help you to do that. And please do come and speak to me if that's you. I started tonight with two headings, inside out and outside in. When Jesus comes back, it will be insiders in and outsiders out. Receive Jesus Christ as your king and come into his kingdom while there's still time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to save us from our sin and bring us into your kingdom. We thank you that this great salvation is available to anyone who will humble themselves and put their trust in you. And Lord, would you help those here tonight who are ready to investigate the evidence for themselves? And we pray that you would lead them to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to respond to King Jesus now in praise by singing, Crown him and who come, all ye faithful. Let's stand as we sing. <laughs>